Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, actually today and the summer season, I am bringing to you a new compilation episode. Last year, from seasons one, two, and three, I brought you the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. And now, from season four and five, without further ado, I bring you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And what that is, and what it was last year, and what it is this year, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of three or four podcasts together as like a montage. And on a certain topic or area of interest in crypto and blockchain, pulling from my podcasts. And now, as we're heading to the summer of 2023, I bring to you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And there's going to be 22 or 23 or 24 around their episodes. And I look forward to you looking forward to it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for, for enjoying my podcasts. And this is going to be a summer treat for everybody. So please sit back, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. This is Crypto Hipsters Mysticals, episode 17, Social Impact. The value of blockchain data is greater than just the data on the blockchain. This Crypto Hipsters Mysticals episode is a compilation of four segments from four podcasts, from four Crypto Hipster podcasts of season four and five. The following guests are on this podcast. First is Gregory Zofser, who is the director of Swarm Foundation. Second is Krishna Hegde, who is the co-founder of PYOR, Power Your Own Research. Third is Lloyd Moore, who is the Chief Technology Officer at Valence Blockchain. And fourth is Rohan Honda, who is the founding member and head of business development at Horizon Labs Ventures. Enjoy. Excellent. And so right now, like what's going on is I guess what you call it as a decentralized storage uh, revolution or it might, it might be a revolution. I don't know. But one of the goals, right, is to break up these oligopolies like the Fangman, the Facebook, Apple, like once ago, all the, you know, power or information. And you said they want to offload it anyway. Right. So how can how can this decentralized storage create a fairer? cost-effective, more secure web? Well, in an abstract way, I would say that it actually creates a dialogue uh, between different parties, in this case, between the user and, uh, and uh, the big uh, tech companies. Uh, at the same time, decentralization, as um, yeah, strange it may be uh, sounding, can also co uh, 
help with people connecting, forming things like data unions and basically be an equal conversation partner to the, to the enterprises. So it's about also by introducing new business models uh, and new examples and uh, through which uh, the public can learn. It's uh, the, the corporations, the uh, legacy uh, corporate world, so to speak, is also uh, incentivized to adopt new approaches to basically, it's, uh, it's kind of setting new standards in how we interact, how enterprises interact uh, with the users. Uh, going forward, um, I would actually say that um, in a way, I mean, this is a challenge and it's, um, it's a nice idea. It's more questionable how much it can happen, but if the big titans or enterprises in general would um, kind of let down the guard and be more open, in a way, I think this can even be a business opportunity for them as well. It does not need necessarily to be this head-on fight. Uh, we don't like what you're doing and now we are going to uh, change that. If they evolve their business models, they, it's like they're already sitting on a lot of data. Giving them back to the users can create new trust, new improved relationships, can, can create better feedback loops to have like good data. Because also what is right now happening is with the surveillance capitalism, it's kind of like chasing the data. There are a lot of wrong, uh, wrong uh, predictions and it's actually, there's a lot of bad data. I would, I'm quite sure that Google thinks I'm fairly different person as Facebook thinks, you know? So also by opening the data, it's kind of like, I think there could be even parallels, historical parallels drawn uh, with, uh, uh, when uh, labor, uh, when law was introduced, uh, social law was introduced, uh, introducing uh, employment. So it's kind of the core idea was I, as a person, can work for somebody, but that person does not own me. And this kind of helped to actually for the economy to grow a lot more. So in the long term, I think it's an opportunity for all who have, let's say, honest intentions. Those who are not going to adapt. I mean, history has plenty of examples what happens with those. So we'll see. It's interesting because I've seen in the past month and a half, I've seen, you know, a little bit of a crypto boom, but it's not been in DeFi or NFTs. It's been in these, these meme coins, you know? These not not to, not to establish meme coins like Doge and Shib, but like other things that are like purely gambling. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and there's one website recently. The guy says you will get nothing. Dot and people sent him over a million dollars, and he said mm -hmm. you'll get nothing. They gave him money. Like how do you how do you navigate this age of the influencer? People who don't have experience institutional grade. Right. And the importance of high fidelity institutional analytics, like how do you how do you bridge that? I guess it's a conundrum or that it looks like a wide divide to me. But how do you how do you begin to do that? Yeah, you know, I kind of look at parallels in the equity market, because if you look at the stock market, right, you've got a similar divide. You've got a set of high quality companies, large caps, etc which are the place where the institution investors actually, you know, buy, sell and 
focus on, right? And then you've got a long tail of small caps, micro caps, pink sheets, and a variety of these companies, which are, you know, for lack of a better word, have pump and dump operators, which are not very well covered institutionally. And as an institution, you will not touch those particular names, right? Because you have, you know, a definition, a particular list of hurdles and checklists, which qualify what you would transact in. So to me, what's happening with a lot of crypto assets is the long tail of what you see in the equity market, which is not stuff which institutions would bother about, and which frankly, for most investors, is not suitable. It, it is it is fun to look at ten up to ten dollars in a meme coin and see whether it goes to zero or hundred. You know, you can look at it as a gambling kind of a you know activity, right? But you're not going to put in your four hundred one k money into a meme coin and expect to hold it for twenty years. That's not the nature of activity, right? So I think we should bifurcate the market just like the way you do it in equities. And say, look, there are places which are appropriate for institutions, which are the large established tokens, the established blockchains, et cetera. And there are aspects which are more speculative in nature, which are unlikely to ever attract institutional interest. But it is you know, a good, fun activity for some people. You can't stop it. You need to kind of be wary of it and make sure you don't go all in and you know, lose your shirt. Right? So that's the way I look at it from a bifurcation perspective. And these two can coexist for the longest time. I don't think we need to you know, say one has to necessarily get killed off by regulation because there is some purpose which it's serving, I would argue. Bifurcation, interesting. So in order to get there, how should we start looking at influencers then? Because the influencers don't have the institutional great backgrounds. How do you... How do you start? Is that the way to to establish institutional versus the influencer economy? Is to is to bifurcate? I would argue yes, because you know we have had this issue of influencers globally, right? Thanks to social media being so prevalent and the ability to get your view across instantly to millions of people, influencers have emerged as a key you know block of information for a lot of people over the last few years. Now. Do you need to regulate the influencers? Should you have a particular set of qualifications before you go online? That's unlikely to happen. And it's not appropriate because, you know, if you look at media right now, it is so decentralized. The fact that you and I have this podcast going is a good example of that, right? So 30 years ago, this would not happen. There would be no way for you and me to connect and discuss crypto, right? So I guess you can't regulate the influencers. So influencers will continue to exist. And it will be foolhardy to say that, look, only if you have a particular set of credentials can you come and talk about crypto or about any other asset class. That's very hard to administer. Education is the way to go, right? So the way I look at the, you know, ask how to handle influencers is make sure that the endpoints, which are investors, individual investors or institutional investors, they are all educated sufficiently. So education has to be made more prevalent at every position of transaction. So suppose you're going to buy a coin, buy a token on a centralized exchange or on a decentralized exchange, you know, make it easy for these endpoints, the transaction locations to provide adequate education to your customers. So for example, when I was at CoinSwitch, one innovation we did was we would put up a risk flag. So whenever a particular token or a coin or any asset became volatile, we would put up a risk flag on that particular token on the screener. And when a customer is trying to buy or sell that particular token, we would provide a nudge, right? Saying, hey, do you realize that this is a very volatile token? This may or may not be suitable for you. Please think again, you know, just a small nudge to force people to rethink. Because a lot of people might just be getting into this, you know, 
out of enthusiasm, right? So they may not have thought sufficiently. So what we found is that nudge was very appreciated by people because that forced them to take a second look. And look, end of the day, it's a free world. People decide what they want to do with their money. So you cannot stop somebody from buying or selling something which is you know, a meme coin or something which you or I think is inappropriate. But you could help by way of education and making sure that people think through the decisions before they execute on them. Being a baseball dad, my kids travel, right? I thought that when I signed them up this year that they were going to get a lot of they're going to get a lot out of it because you know they go to travel tournaments and stuff. I got a lot out of it because I became friends with all the parents, right? And and people focus more on skills than relationships, right? Your personal style includes relationships. How do you see? the future of leadership and how do you see, you know, um, how organizations can tie that together, the education, the leadership, the personal values, the personal relationships, and, and be able to grow and move forward. I think we're going to move towards a place where leadership is, or, or rather the position of leadership is earned. And rather than knowing the right people, we're going to be introduced more and more to the concept of DAOs, where we have these new kinds of businesses that rely on the power of the collective to have certain people drive certain decisions. I think today there's a lot of people that have been to the right schools, know the right people, and somehow get that role as you know CEO, CTO, CFO, etc., and I think there'll be a fairer system in the very near future and beyond. And I think DAOs are going to be a big part of that. And this will be a great intersection of personal relationships and technology that will take us to a place where we will have the right leadership at the right time, making the right decisions. An example that extends beyond the stuff that we're working on at Valence now is this notion of replacing the courtroom with not just 12 people in a jury, but millions of people in a DAO collectively making better decisions and quickly as well. And that can only be hugely beneficial to the world in general. Let's talk about DAOs. Um, first, from a technical perspective, because you build electronics, and then we're going to talk about the social impact, right? Um, so what are the components in the future of, of DAOs and decentralized networks? I don't think, I think the components will be, there'll be nothing new. What you've got today is you've got digital representations of, of real people and real institutions. And I think that they will continue to exist. I think the network effect will, will change and, and improve a lot, a lot over the way it works today. So right now, even though, you know, we can all marvel at, you know, the internet, you've still got this problem of people having to use particular ISPs. I think the first people, the first institution that's kind of changed that is Starlink. I just happen to have Starlink myself, but I think in the future, there'll be other satellite offerings. There'll be other, other ways of, networking with other people 
And then what we what what you'll have is this an increase in speed, an increase in of availability. And so people that can't be part of that network today will definitely play a bigger part tomorrow. And I think that the more people that can be part of that network, part of that DAO, it will just improve the way we make decisions and the quality of those decisions we make as well. So social impact, right? Of the Oracle, of the of, of DAOs, right? Decentralized autonomous organizations, right? Um, what will they be? What else can they be? And what role will decentralized Oracle networks have in that as well? That's a great question. I think the, the problem with oracles today is that I don't think we've quite worked out how to improve the amount of trust that we can have. So if you imagine blockchain to be completely trustworthy in the sense of the fact that you're relying on on mathematics, at some point, when we talk about oracles, we're talking about real world data. And so how do you how do you verify that data? I think as we as we improve on those oracles and come up with novel ways to have much more trust in that data, oracles will will morph into these highly trusted elements of everyday life. So that could be that could be news outlets. So today, you know, if I go to you know the CNN website or the BBC, there's a you know there's a huge level of trust there, and there may be some other operator that has news items that are equally trustworthy, but you know they don't have that reputation. Moving to a world where you have an oracle-based network of news outlets suddenly you can you can pick and choose the different news or news sources that you want and they're the same ones that are here today but just using better oracle technology you're able to trust areas trust outlets that you wouldn't necessarily trust today i like that you said it that way because you're going to talk about legality and uh, your sixth your sixth point was decentralization, where you brought up the concept of DAO, right? Right. From an organizational standpoint, for somebody who has the skill set to to be sitting on a corporate board, but not the pedigree, um, DAOs offer people an opportunity, like me, to be able to be on the governance of a board, right? Um, but certain legal ramifications and rulings have come out that saying any holder of a DAO would be first personally responsible if something that went wrong with the DAO. You know, how, how, do you, how do you deal with those kind of crazy uh, or wild or whatever, maybe improper interpretations of what decentralization is to give people the opportunity to build organizations for the future like DAOs? Yeah, um, I will preface this by saying that I'm not a legal expert and that a lot of these things happen uh, in areas, neither I'm an expert nor will I take credit for being able to justify what's being done. But what I, I can say from business standpoint and having participated in various DAOs, 
um, the way DAOs are structured right now are not sustainable, right? Hoping that you have a token and you have a governance token that allows its community members to vote on different topics and different things is not sustainable, primarily because there's by default, the way the mechanics of token drops and airdrops and incentives are done, it by nature is rewarding big or uh, uh, holders and early supporters of those projects, right? And you can see that as a clear example in ApeCoin DAO. While I'm proud of launching it, it was the first of its kind and what was done, the way it has evolved since has really tilted or skewed the incentives towards the big back holders of the tokens itself, right? They have the power to dictate where the DAO goes. They have the power to come in last minute and sway the direction of, an, uh, of, of a proposal uh, in the direction that they see fit. So there's a lot of politicking that, and that happens, which is not necessarily bad, but it needs to be consistent. It needs to be truly democratized. It needs to have, it needs to find me me mechanisms so that the smallest community member in a DAO, in a community has a voice. And that doesn't happen if you make it completely decentralized from day one. So what it needs to have, what needs to happen, and I still do believe is there's gotta be a path towards decentralization where you create these super uh, net bodies that provides those guardrails, whether you call it special council members, whether you call core, uh, uh, you know, contributors, come up with guidelines that allows other um, community members to participate, right? Uh, defining the purpose, goal, and vision of the DAO and documenting it, right? Identifying the criteria for that DAO membership. What, recognizing the potential core contributors, selecting a suitable DAO admin to facilitate those smooth operations and so forth, eventually creating what I'd call a contributor contribution economy, where everyone who's contributing gets rewarded, feels important, and then carving out the right voting mechanics, right? It cannot always be one person, one vote. We need to think about more novel ideas. We have this future dish where we can experiment. Things like quadratic voting has been thrown out, right? Where the person who has most skin in the game uh, or most uh, values a certain outcome more, puts more on the line uh, versus person who may not have as much uh, uh, in, uh, incentive or desire for a certain proposal to pass or certain outcome uh, to come through, right? So those are some of the novel areas which really need to actively be tried for. And that will make life easier, not only to understand how the structure of these organizations work, but who are the right people to help govern and grow these DAOs ecosystem from hybrid sort of centralized and community driven to purely community driven. Right, because right now we don't have those frameworks, and it makes it difficult for people who have been, as you said, on boards to take a lead and do this full time, which is exciting because you have the opportunity, a blank slate, to drive the direction of the community of the DAOs in an area that uh, that is compelling, that you believe in, and uh, bring the entire community along with it using proposals, using boards, using grants, using new products, and using this decentralized token mechanism to incentivize and, uh, and reward uh, the base.